Hey there, I'm Jo, and this is Looking Outside, the podcast that explores new perspectives beyond the familiar. I am a CPG innovator, and with this show, I'm seeking a fresh take on business topics with some of the most influential and original thinkers. If you find yourself curiously peeking over the fence at what is happening outside your market, industry, or field of knowledge, then this show will help you to explore more of that. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Looking Outside. We are kicking off season two. Very exciting. I'll tell you, I started this show because I knew in talking with some very original thinkers that there was more to how we approach business and our own personal lives. And actually, there is a lot that I don't know. I was fueled by curiosity, and that is what we're going to talk about. Today, we're looking outside curiosity. That desire to explore, the freedom in questioning, the skill in application. For this, I can't tell you how excited I am to have a true expert on the topic and someone that I really look up to in the foresight world, Sarah Devanzo. Welcome, Sarah. It's great to be here. Let's have a curious (laughs) conversation. (laughs) Yes, let's. I can't wait. So before we get into that, I'd love you to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. So I'm a creature of the world. I've uh, lived and worked internationally about a decade in multiple countries in Asia, a decade in Africa and elsewhere in the world, and then back here in North America. So global citizen, if you will. Always been in the space of data analytics, insights, and foresight in innovation. And today I think I am innovating data analytics, insights, and foresight. I'm practicing what I preach on my own field And today I currently lead the consumer market insight and foresight team, which includes cultural strategy and intelligence, as well as futures for the L'Oreal group of companies. So that's what I do. And I'd say that probably a little bit about myself is it's important to live curiously. So let's, we can unpack that in a second. Yes, definitely. And it feels like you definitely live curiously because you sort of started talking about the output of the work mm-hmm. that you do is all about, you know, data analysis, foresight, innovation, but you're also reflective of those mm-hmm. functions and those mm-hmm. capabilities. So you're almost like automatically stepping outside of that to be, you know, curious about how you can improve the functions. Yeah, I would say, you know, if you want to be clever about it, it's a bit like meta curious <laughs> or turning the analytical, insightful foresight practices on an analytics insight and foresight. I always found that to be, you know, if we're living in the space of the future of blank or insight, like seeing inside blank, then why not apply that to our own mm-hmm. industries and the way that we do our business? Because you've seen so much change in insight and foresight mm-hmm. fields in just the past decade given new methods and technologies Mm. and platforms and approaches. So we're constantly needing to innovate to keep pace with the change of the world. And I think these are areas, career paths that are going through exponential change right now. So I have a question for you to sort of start the conversation on curiosity, because I think when you title a conversation around curiosity, people's minds automatically go to something very prescriptive that association around being bold and adventurous, inherently it's positive, surely a time waster, unnecessary, a lot of very clear associations with curiosity. What's the biggest misconception that you think people have um, about it? Well, first, first of all, that it's just intellectual inquisitiveness. So uh, I think that's a trope that asking questions and conducting online research and 
is one of four modalities of curiosity. There are many other manifestations of inquiry and exploration. And I think that we fall back on, is that person asking lots of questions? And ergo, that person must be highly curious. Whereas like animals, some people observe intently, some people experiment, some people feel (laughs) and put themselves in the ways of visceral experience. So there are, you know, we can go on and on and on about all the different ways in which people explore. But Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a misconception. And when you break out of that mindset, of thinking about just asking questions and in the more classical intellectual way, then all of a sudden it opens up a whole new realm of actually creating new synapses and connections and really exercising your curiosity or an exploration and discovery muscles. I love that. And, you know, flexing new curiosity muscles, I think is something that we should all be practicing. And curiosity is about what is and what could be. So how do you build those muscles to be able to jump from one to the well, other? Well, you know, I think I said I started off the conversation that I'm in the space of data analytics, insight and foresight. That can be very now-ish and next-ish, right? But you said the operative word. I mm-hmm. think that bundles up into an overarching concept, which is if-sight, <laughs> insight and foresight, if-sight, which is all mm. about possibility. What mm. if? right? What if, what could? Yes. And those are higher order kinds of questions. I mean, if you look at the hierarchy of wisdom, right, in terms of, you know, how we go from data to information to knowledge, and then there's understanding. And if you're lucky, there's insight. And at the top of the pyramid is wisdom, you know, from the insight. We need to move through that. And really, the very top, the insight and wisdom space is all about what could, what if, what should probable futures, right? Probable futures, mm-hmm. possible mm-hmm. futures. Preferred and futures. Preferred, preferred <laughs> futures is futurism. That's the ifing. Mm-hmm. That's what should, mm-hmm. could, and, you know, if a kind of conversation, which is a higher order conversation about shaping the world we want to be in and making decisions about the kind of world we want to shape. One of the things that I'm curious about, oh my goodness, I okay. hope I don't use that again. <laughs> is you're exploring Mm -hmm. and you're sort of retraining Mm -hmm. your brain. I'm curious from the research that you've done, you know, how many people consider themselves curious and do they actually understand what curiosity is or are they, you know, thinking that, like you said before, maybe just asking questions is their form of curiosity, but there's so much more that they could be tapping into? Great point. Okay. So research that I've been conducting over the past decade, both as part of my master's degree of which my thesis was focused on creating interest and curiosity and motivation in classroom and coaching educational learning environments. That's was the focus of my master's degree. And so I was watching groups of people, adults, kids, teachers, and students intently and looking at their behavior. And so one thing that is very, very interesting that I was then able to bear truthful in research, follow-up research in my career was actually testing and diagnosing people's levels of curiosity and styles of curiosity or exploration and the way that they discover. You can see, you can feel, you can think, and you can do. And there's a lot to unpack there in a second. But what I think is fascinating is Mm -hmm. that one, if you do not tell someone about those four areas, the initial default is, oh, it's intellectual, it's curiosity, it's asking questions. Now, I have now surveyed hundreds of communities of people. So they might be business associates. They might be whole teams and departments of corporations. They could be social groups. 
but it's important. The operative word is groups of people and to get a sense of their curiosity as a group. And that's an interesting observation is that groups self-select. So you tend to have like-minded curiosity types and styles in the group. So a company will tend to find you, for example, in R&D or new product development, innovation teams, they tend to be leaning towards very experimental and very intellectual. Makes a lot of sense. They're working with their hands, they're building. Mm -hmm. And so there's a self-fulfilling kind of self-selection of people. And then you're getting a skew. And when you can introduce people who have other skills like highly visual observers and pattern recognition or emotional explorers or uh, visceral explorers, that all of a sudden makes the entire group a much more curious and arriving at innovation in much quicker ways. So I think that we want to do is we want to, first of all, get a, a handle on the people. And then we want to, through the diagnostic, be able to stretch people. And that was the other discovery was that we are able to give exercises or challenges, curiosity challenges to people and individuals to actually provoke their curious behaviors and to elevate it. Now, going into the whole thing, we would give a baseline to ask them to rate themselves on how curious do they think they are relative to their group or relative to the general population. And interesting, (laughs) the people Mm -hmm. who mark themselves as being superior to the general population and especially their peers in their community tend to not actually be displaying the full spectrum of curiosity behaviors. So one could ergo, there's a hubris. So the more confident you are in your curiousness, ironically, seems to indicate that you might be closed off to ways of stretching your curiosity. And what we found is that those that put themselves as average or even subpar to their peers or gen pop tend to actually display curious behaviors in all the four modalities at a much higher uh, level or cadence. So (laughs) that's what I've learned. Open-mindedness is a very, very critical uh, aspect to unlocking curiosity. So fascinating. And I can imagine humility as well, because when you were speaking then, it kind of took me back to Albert Einstein when he said the important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for being. It's almost like as smart as you are, as much as you know about a specific topic or field of knowledge. It's important to understand that you don't know everything and that you do still need to keep stretching yourself and pulling yourself into new areas. So it's really interesting because people who are passionate about curiosity do often, I think, come across that way. I know I'm definitely guilty of that. I sort of like walk around going, I'm so curious. I'm a curious person. You know, I'm really passionate about curiosity. And so I probably need to like give myself a little bit of a slap on the wrist to say, actually, I probably have a long way to go. Well, I think the fact that you just uh, admitted to that or self-reflected in that respect, it just shows that you're open-minded. So half the battle is like being made aware, right? And so first of all, going into this, you might, Mm -hmm. you know, if you weren't aware all the different modalities and ways that you can explore the world, you've heard the concept of nature versus nurture. Some people are born Mm -hmm. or at least raised in environments that foster their exploration, curiosity, exploration, discovery behaviors. Others have been built to develop it over time. We have generalists and specialists. We need them all in the world. You can easily identify through diagnostics 
whether someone is deeply curious about one topic, has a hobby, an interest area, or a few, you know, or is a polymath looking across the board, like a T-shaped person. Mm. Then we have also, you could be driven externally. Your boss says, you know, Joe, I need you to become an expert on AI ethics. Now, all of a sudden, you're being motivated mm. extrinsically, externally, to be curious about a particular topic. Or it could be an internal interest because it's something mm. that you became fascinated by. And then finally, your cadence. We find that this is also part of everyone's unique profile is some will be low grade, if you will, <laughs> all the time, every day, kind of a low grade, mm-hmm. uh, you know, role. Then others might live with bursts on the weekends or on vacation mm. or at certain moments of the day will have energetic bursts of interest, exploration curious behavior and ergo discovery and insight. And so getting a handle of what is your, almost like your circadian rhythm, you know, what is your style of curiosity is very helpful, especially to work with it, match people in teams, make up teams, and then push and challenge people by pairing them up with those that have a different profile or composition. Funnily enough, from all this, through these years of doing this, you know, as a curious hobby on the side and and whatnot, (laughs) it's actually the unintended Mm -hmm. consequence of this is team building. So I've done this on several occasions. What we were measuring, it was never like the desired outcome was to build a cohesive team, but it it became so apparent. I discovered this, I think the first time, eight years ago, that when you mix people's styles and they challenge each other and they coach each other, right? In a group, let's say an innovation Mm -hmm. sprint or a classroom, Actually, they become really, really close. Mm. I mean, I'd be curious what your take on it is. I think it might just be the vulnerability one has to go through the motions in this way. Mm-hmm. And that vulnerability maybe creates the bond. I mean, I'm curious. What, why do you think that would create such strong team bonds? <laughs> well, I think it's a vulnerability, like you said, but it's almost like your openness to put aside your own preconceptions. I was in a team once where we had four people with all parts of the world, very different perspectives and very different backgrounds. And some people in the group kept on saying, we're so different. Like we, we need to find a common way to do things and a common way of approaching this. And we need to fix this problem that we're so mm-hmm. distinct and that we do things so differently. And actually, you know, we were pushing back on that saying, no, the difference is what makes mm-hmm. us more robust. It brings sure. more critical thinking into the mix. It helps us to pull ourselves away from what we're used to doing or how we're used to approaching a problem. So I think that's so, it's such a wonderful outcome out of curiosity. And it also sparked something else in me when you were speaking about, you know, when we go down mm-hmm. these career paths. So like you said, we become an expert in something. We sort of get very, very jaded, comfortable right? in a specific, mm-hmm. we become jaded. Yeah. And it's, it's almost like when you're a child, the profession that you go into is led by curiosity of what could this be like? Like, could mm-hmm. I be a futurist, for example? So what happens when you get there? So you've, you've got this skill set, you're applying it day to day. Then it feels like the risk is that you start to get too pigeonholed in your yeah, way of well, thinking and you lose that curiosity. I mean, I think the world of professional insights, data analytics, insights, and foresight, they could have another title, which are chief curiosity officers. I mean, that's really what the job is, is Mm. to be exploring, right? And to be unlocking, Mm -hmm. you know, data, information, knowledge, understanding, insight, wisdom, that kind of trajectory, right? And whether it's for now, next, or future, it's just the temporality of the same behaviors. 
And so if you mm-hmm. if you were then to say, okay, I'm going to reframe my job as a chief curiosity officer, then I have to keep exploring in new ways and ensure and be provoking my communities and my my teams and my brands and my company and so forth to be exploring. And that will take you down the path of, you know, with every technological change and exponential change to business models and societal changes. And, you know, that will force one to reconsider their methods and approaches. So mm. the technology is already the great catalyst across everything. The project, you know, about the Curious Futures 2030 meta-analysis, the trend analysis, that, mm. you know, technology is through the data and the quantification. It's the single biggest catalyst of change in society. And if we just stay on top of that, mm. that's already going to change the way that you do your work and the way that you explore, keeping us young and humble because it's hard to stay abreast mm. of all that technological change. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, that report that Sarah just mentioned, it synthesized uh, over 1,800 trends from over 123 foresight reports. There's a lot to go through there. And I really like what you said, because I feel like in the traditional market research world, the expectation is that you find an answer to a question and a chief curiosity officer would be finding a question to an answer. And, you know, you know, I can imagine it wasn't a case of this has led to this or this will lead to this. It's actually pattern mapping and thinking about how things are correlated and what are the trends and the counter trends. And you know, continually digging deeper and probing, probing, probing. Mm-hmm. And exploring data or, or data inputs through the different modalities of curiosity. It's not always just spreadsheets of data, right? Because like I said, you can have observational seeing, feeling, thinking, and doing. Data through experimentation, data through building and making, you know, you know, making prototypes, data through uh, uh, emoting and feeling uh, through the senses, uh, sensory deprivation, analyzing uh, the focus group, but closing your eyes and only listening to the conversation, not looking, you know, uh, or, you know, uh, or looking or having your, your, uh, the consumers you're studying uh, communicate through uh, a limited set of, of, of communication devices, you know, drawing pictures only and, and not verbally. You know, there's, there's lots of ways to, to get people to think differently, to communicate, which is then helps us to not only communicate data points <laughs> and insights, uh, but also to analyze them in new and fresh ways so we don't get stuck uh, because we have bias in our data analytics approaches as well, right? And like expectations that you're always going to come up with something quite definitive at the end of it as well, which I think is just trappings of the business world where the outcome of a project is to lead to something tangible for the business. Actually, sometimes an outcome of a project is that you mm-hmm. don't have the answer and that you need to keep yeah. digging. So I love that. So one mm-hmm. other thing that you touched on before really fascinates me, particularly when you're talking about the feel, Mm -hmm. think, Mm -hmm. do, see Mm -hmm. the different, I think, Mm multi-sensorial ways to tap into your curiosity. Made me think of, you know, the school of thought that curiosity is linked to this juvenile characteristic Mm -hmm. that we have as Mm -hmm. a human species, this childlike nature to Mm -hmm. play and to like stick our fingers in where they don't belong. And for me, that's, that's really linked into obviously playfulness, but also creativity. So how much of curiosity is really tapping into your creativity? Well, a lot. <laughs> I mean, there, there, there's a Venn diagram, right? <laughs> uh, that's for sure creativity on the le- on the left and, and curiosity on the right, and there's an overlap. 
Um, they feed off of each other, but there are a lot of other inputs into creativity, which you know, uh, like, for example, time <laughs> and pressure, you know, that that's a, the biggest one of the biggest creativity killers. So um, it also happens to be a killer of curiosity, too. Um, in uh, the research I published in the, uh, the, 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 the Rhizozine, Insight Alchemy, actually highlights the biggest curiosity killers. And uh, from uh, a, a very large piece of uh, research amongst uh, insights professionals around the world. And, you know, time and pressure and, like you said earlier, closed-mindedness or knowing the answer or feeling like one knows the answer because one's been there before can be some of the biggest, you know, door shutters on, on curiosity and creativity, for sure. But, you know, it play, play is also, think about it, it's also visceral. It's also feeling. You're playing, you're touching Play-Doh, you're touching the grass, you're running, you're feeling your, you know, your breath, right? uh, you're panting as you're, as, you're, as you're running around the, the field, you're, you know, uh, you're awe and wonder of the balloons and the kites, you know, all of that is playfulness. And that's, I would say that's in the feel of, uh, and the do side of, the, of curiosity exploration, um, you know, probably less intellectual in the play state. Um, certainly in the doing and the feeling um, and the seeing. Um, so there's, for sure, there's, you know, we we have such an over-programmed society, which is a problem, uh, actually one of uh, the many uh, reasons why we've seen a decline in American curiosity. There's a, you know, fight, flight, or freeze reaction, and based on the events of the, the past couple of years, you know, Americans have really hunkered down and, and retracted, um, and so they have their got their algorithm bubbles have gotten bigger, meaning more 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 uh, 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 narrow, and uh, they're willing to uh, put themselves in, in places of risk um, and explore has declined and. As a result, curiosity is, is kind of, you know, actually in, in pretty pretty dangerous state right now. Um, it's hovering around like 30% of Americans actually display curio- true curious behaviors on a regular basis. Um, and so what we have here is, yeah, certainly technology makes it easy to auto-complete your sentences on Google. We're swimming TMI in data and information without the tools to um, prioritize and uh, parse it, right? And so it's, then it all becomes noise and we can't identify the signals. And then there's also teaching styles and education styles, which have, you know, teaching to test and inquiry-based uh, learning. Critical thinking skills, as you know, have, have, and humanities have uh, waned in America as, as well elsewhere in the world. So these all contribute to curiosity killers at a systemic social level. It's frightening, <laughs> absolutely frightening. You know, when, particularly when we're, we've been working from home, we've been stuck inside of our own little bubble, where not having those moments where you go into an office and you meet someone, you talk right. to them on email now, but you meet someone, you learn their body language, you're observing them, you're looking into their eyes when they're speaking, you're like yeah. smelling them, shaking their hand. There's that sort of physical interaction that allows us to learn like the, you know, the, the natural mm-hmm. state of our learning. And um, a part of that then is we're not having an opportunity to mm-hmm. be challenged because having a Zoom conversation with someone 
um, trying to trying to dig deep into why you have a difference of opinion is so challenging versus having a cup of coffee with someone in person. So it feels like there's this sort of, you know, challenge that we're facing into now where in a state of play and work that doesn't allow us to have that human interaction to be able to have a conversation with someone with a difference of opinion. But then there's also, it feels like this undercurrent of not wanting to listen to someone mm-hmm. with a different because it takes work <laughs> too much work to to try to empathize or to understand and have those difficult conversations yeah, absolutely and also we have cancel culture right we have some very dangerous behaviors in society that discourages people from potentially ha- having those challenging conversations because they're afraid of tripping up right and mishandling them because the consequences can be so dire should you make a faux pas, right? There's yes. a real thing. It's actually, it's connected to a question that I had about the risks mm. of curiosity, or I guess the, the downsides or the danger zones, because we are predictable creatures and we like things that we can, you know, easily feel comfortable and safe in. And there's a lot of inherent risk in being curious and looking at the dark side of things or looking at, you know, different spaces. I mean, there's, there's sort of uh, examples in history yeah. of human error or personal corruption. What's the negative side of curiosity? Yeah, well, the dark web is, is, is a great example of that, right? Again, if you're putting together in the business context, a group of people and you're trying to, let's say you're starting an innovation workshop and you, you, a, you want to build the team building and you want to motivate them and kind of get their styles to be compatible and maybe augment, you know, stretch them a little bit. One has to get a sense of their appetite for risk. Okay, that's core to all of this. Because if you're going mm. to, let's say, do an exercise where you're going to blind, blindfold the team and have a future soundscape, let's say, for example, we're going to have just an auditory, an oral kind of a provocation or stimuli to get people thinking differently and unlock creativity and, you know, loosen the curiosity muscles. If you've got someone who is mm. really uncomfortable with that kind of like having their eyes covered or don't trust the group, they're not going to want to be blindfolded in that context. And that's, they're going to shut down and you can overdo it. You know, I don't know if you like roller coasters. I'm not a real fan of roller coasters. I love so, them. <laughs> so for you, it, it might be you're bungee jumping and the, the feel of the, the thrill of the, I have to push myself in the feeling side of discovery and curiosity. Mm. That's the area. So hot mm. food, roller coasters, anything that might be physically a little, like kind of a little dangerous, a little risky. I'm not going to do bungee jumping or parachuting or, you know what I mean? I push myself intentionally mm-hmm. because I, I know, but I have a threshold and I'm probably my threshold's a little hot, higher than some people, right? And so like you can be with a team and you can really mm-hmm. sh- shut them down by being too adventurous because the risk is too high because they're really uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Maybe they had, you know, a bad experience. They broke their leg skiing or something. Mm-hmm. So you don't know where people are coming from. So I do think mm-hmm. I'm not recommending to make everybody uncomfortable <laughs> where they shut down and they're, fear- <laughs> and they're fearful. You know, uh, I, I definitely am not recommending that. Mm. Um, but I do think, you know, a little discomfort is always healthy to stretch, right? When you're learning something new. Exactly. And I feel like you've really done that with your career as well. You know, you, when you, you said before, you know, you've worked in these parts of the world that I think a lot of people would be fearful to venture off into mm-hmm. even on a holiday. So you've really sort of dived yeah. into yeah. <laughs> into um, some really interesting places, but also even just, you know, moving mm-hmm. from industries and sort of broadening your, again, your knowledge base there. So I'm curious, do you, 
Did that spark or fuel your curiosity doing that? Or was that a part of the reason why you did stretch it and push yourself into those different areas? Well, that's a really great point to to unpack as I've been asked this because of the so many countries and over so many two decades, and a lot of it is was mostly in emerging markets. And so therefore, you know, you're sometimes the power goes out and you don't have resources and, you know, necessity is the mother of invention, right? So there's a lot of innovation, but mm-hmm. I might be, you know, find myself in the jungle of Mali doing research or, you know, somewhere in South America, you know, Latin America. But <laughs> the point is, is that did the curiosity drive me to those places or was it the other way around? And I can't, I would like to mm. fantasize this, okay? So I believe that the travel, uh, the work, the living abroad made me more curious. Okay, so I'm going to use a mm. metaphor is, you know, the curiosity explorer of NASA that went to Mars, okay? went, you know, I, I'm sure every, by now everyone mm-hmm. knows that it actually infected Mars with <laughs> various different microbes from Earth. So, you know, it literally infected Mars, So, which is kind of funny because you think of curiosity <laughs> being something that's infectious or contagious. And I wonder, I wonder if just breathing the air, being exposed to the microbes, being exposed to the flora and the fauna, the food, the biomes, okay, of various biomes mm-hmm. of these places did something to my biology to actually stimulate curiosity because curiosity is absolutely chemistry in your body, right? Everything in your brain is, is chemistry. Mm-hmm. And I once spoke to, I went to Singularity University and I spoke to one of the professors who's a professor at Stanford who specializes in microbiology. And we, we talked and we fantasized about a, a study to say, could we isolate a highly quadra, all four quadrants, curious folks, people, and then do an analysis of their uh, of their biomes and see whether or not we saw any patterns in their physiology that might like, who knows, there's an enzyme, there's a virus, there's something that does something to people's biology and chemistry. There's tsetse fly research that looks at It's not my research. I attended some meetings at the Curiosity Cluster of researchers at Columbia University a couple of years ago before the COVID. And so he was looking at tsetse flies and there are, the DNA is like there are absolutely, there are sitters who sit on the edge of the Petri dish. And then there are wanderers. And you can tell from the Mm -hmm. DNA of the flies who has the wandering DNA makeup and who is going to just sit. So you could maybe make that extrapolation that maybe there are in humans, there are sitters and there are wanderers. And maybe the wanderers mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. the explorers, are the discoverers, are the curious. It's interesting to think about it being sort of like embedded into our DNA. Because I did a, um, I don't know if you've done this, the Britannica Curiosity uh-huh. Compass, the quiz mm-hmm. that you can do about what kind of a curious person are you? So apparently I am Ah, an inventor, mm -hmm. which is nice, (laughs) nice title to have. But so much of that is sort of Uh self-reflection and and hopefulness, I think, Mm -hmm. in the questions. So I'd like to think that there's almost like an inherent thing inside of me that, I mean, aside from just the the human curiosity that's natural inside of me, but that would denote what type of curious thinker I am. I really like that idea. Well, the thing is, is that back to that, if I profiled you with my diagnostic, it might come up that you are skewing towards the doer, which is inventing, right? Experimentation, inventing. And, you know, you have this podcast, that's a maker. 
you're the, you are a maker because you're making this podcast. Hence, I would have already pegged you as an inventor or a doer. It's about living curiously. I like the idea of, of if we leave the, you know, our, our, our listeners with a thought, you know, we hear this all the time, be curious, be. I think being curious is very passive. And I actually, most people I talk to say, I don't know how to be curious. Like, what do you mean? Uh, if you think about live curious, live your life seeing, feeling, thinking, and doing curiosity. It's just an easier mantra mm. to remember to kind of poke oneself and remind oneself. Like I said, I have to remind myself to feel. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Amazing. And, you know, really actionable tips that we can take from, you know, right now to start to be more curious and stretch our thinking. So, Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, You are absolutely my favorite chief curiosity officer. And (laughs) I vastly enjoyed this conversation. I do have one last question for you, which is what your go-to is when you're trying to push yourself to look outside. It's human diversity and data diversity, but they're both the same. I think we overlook data diversity these days. And human diversity, basically exposing myself to humans who are not in my algorithm bubble, it takes a lot of work. For example, clubfreetime.com. You get the list of free stuff to do in your in your region or your neighborhood or your city or your town. I mean, you know, that's just like a go-to. You can close your eyes, do Russian roulette, and just go to the thing. If there's no investment. There's no. It's basically free, and you meet people who are going to not be in your group. Mm. Um, going to maker meet, you know, meetup meetings, meet, you know, meetups. Uh, doing creative projects like you're doing and like I do. Uh, that 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 basically becomes a magnet for other people who are outside my bubble to contact me to expand my horizons. So sometimes I I don't if I can't go there, you know, they say bring the the mountain, <laughs> go to the mountain or bring the mountain to you. <laughs> Um, I, I'm trying to bring them out to me sometimes. I love that. And I love that you still practice that um, and, you know, that you're sharing everything that you've learned, um, including with this audience. So huge thank you again, Sarah. Well, takes one to know one. Thank you so much, Joe. Uh, live curiously. It's an important distinction between knowing you're curious and practicing curiosity. We can move beyond intellectualizing curiosity and asking questions to provoking curious behavior, as Sarah said. And remember, curiosity, like open-mindedness and exploration, doesn't have limits. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and rate the show to help me reach other curious thinkers. Thank you so much for listening and keep looking outside.